If we could define the message of the Bible, we might say it in a few words this way. The message of the Bible is salvation in Jesus Christ. We begin all the way back in Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6. We learn how that a Savior is needed for all mankind. The Bible says that so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. We have here a recording of the first sin. It's a violation of the law that God had given in chapter 2. The Lord God, verse 16, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. They died that day spiritually, separated from God, out of fellowship with God. They needed a Savior. And so does every man who's lived since, every accountable person. In 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. And all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. So the Bible in its message is salvation of salvation in Christ tells us how that a Savior is needed. But secondly, the Bible tells us how the Savior is coming. In Genesis chapter 12, and beginning in verse 1, we read about the promise to Abram. The Lord had said to Abram, Get out of your country from your kindred and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and I will curse him who curses you. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We have a threefold promise here to Abram. A promise to make of him a great nation. A promise to give him a good land. A chosen land. But thirdly, a promise that through his seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. That's the promise of a Savior who would come. So the Bible tells us that a Savior is needed. The Bible tells us the Savior is coming. The Bible tells us the Savior has come. And we read about that in the New Testament. And so John would later write, after Jesus ascended into heaven, at what point I don't know, but looking back, he says, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of His disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in His name. The Savior did come. He was Jesus. He's the Christ, the Anointed One, the Messiah, and He's the Son of God. But the Bible also tells us that not only is the Savior needed, and that the Savior's coming, and that the Savior has come, but that the Savior's coming back. In Acts chapter 1 and verse 11, when Jesus ascended into heaven, two men stood by the disciples, and white apparel they were, who also said, verse 11, men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come in like manner as you saw Him go into heaven. Jesus is coming again. And so the rest of the New Testament wants Christians, people not only become Christians, but to remain faithful and be ready for His coming again. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 27 through 28, Hebrews 9, verses 27 and 28, the Bible says, And as it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment, so Christ was offered once to bear the sins of many. To those who eagerly wait for Him, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. There is something known as the second time. The first time Jesus came, He came to offer Himself as a sacrifice for sins. The second time He's coming, it's not for that. It's for salvation. It's for the eternal salvation of those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. That day is described in various terms in the New Testament. It's described as the day of God in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 12. The Bible says, "...but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night," verse 10, "...in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God. It's called both the day of the Lord here in verse 10, as well as the day of God. It is called the day of the Lord Jesus in Philippians chapter 1 and verse 16. In Philippians 1 and, 16, and verse 6 rather, being confident of this very thing that He who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. The day of Jesus Christ is that day in which He'll come back and reward the faithful. It is also called the last day. In John chapter 6 and verse 39, in John 6 and 39, this is the will of the Father who sent me, Jesus said, that of all He has given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. There's such a thing as last days, and that is this gospel dispensation that began on the day of Pentecost in these last days. But here is the last day. And it's the last day when He will raise up uh, the faithful. And we'll find out as we go through the lesson, He'll raise up all the dead. But He says in verse 40, And this is the will of Him who sent Me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in Him may have everlasting life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. The second coming of Christ then is described as the day of God, the day of the Lord, the day of the Lord Jesus, the last day. But brethren, the second coming of the Lord must not be confused with other comings of the Lord. For example, in Matthew chapter 24 and verse 30, Jesus was speaking of the destruction of Jerusalem. And yet it was a time of the coming of the Lord. In verse 30, then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in heaven and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Jesus 
came in judgment upon Jerusalem. And it's promised here by Jesus in chapter 24 and verse 30. It was something that happened in that generation. Verse 34. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation will by no means pass away till all these things are fulfilled. That's not the second coming of the Lord of which we spoke in Hebrews 9, but it is a coming of the Lord. There is also the coming of the kingdom. In Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, in Mark chapter 9 and verse 1, Jesus said to some disciples, He said, Surely I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God come with power, or having come, or present with power. That's a coming, but that happened in Acts chapter 2. The coming of the kingdom of God. So here's the other comings, but we're speaking about something very specific called the second coming of Christ when He comes back for salvation. The New Testament teaches He's coming again over and over again. Christ said He would come again. John chapter 14 and verses 1-3, through 3, He said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in Me. In My Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is coming again and He said He would come again. The angels said He would come again. We read that in Acts chapter 1 and verse 11. The Apostle John wrote that Jesus would come again. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, but we know that when He is revealed, when He is uncovered and shown, we shall be like Him for we shall see Him as He is. This is speaking about His second coming. The Apostle Paul wrote that He would come again in Colossians chapter 3, for example, and verse 3. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. The Apostle Peter wrote that He would come again. In 1 Peter chapter 1, in verses 7-9, through 9, beginning in verse 6, he writes, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith be much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having not seen you love, though now you do not see Him yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Remember back there in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 28, He will appear a second time apart from sin for salvation. Peter's speaking about that here. He'll be revealed. It'll be a revelation of Jesus Christ. And they will receive, the saints will receive what? The salvation of your souls. Verse 9. We can be assured that Christ is coming a second time. And I believe His resurrection assures us of it. 
His resurrection assures us of the judgment, the coming judgment. In Acts chapter 17 and verses 30 and 31, Paul spoke before those in Athens these words, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because He has appointed a day on which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising Him from the dead. How can you be sure of a coming judgment? Because He's raised Him. Because He's raised Jesus from the dead. The New Testament not only assures us that Christ is coming again, but the New Testament tells us something about the time of His coming. The New Testament tells us something about the time of His coming. In Matthew chapter 24 and verses 35 through 37, Jesus said, Heaven and earth will pass away, but My words will by no means pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows. No, not even the angels of heaven, but My Father only. That's what the Bible tells us about the timing of His coming. No one knows but the Father. But the Bible tells us more. It tells us that His coming will occur when men are going about their normal routines. Read verses 37-39 through 39 there. But as the days of Noah were, so also will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in the days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark and did not know until the flood came and took them all away. So also will be the coming of the Son of Man. His coming then will occur without visible warning signs. It will happen suddenly. This is much different than what Jesus speaks about earlier in chapter 24, where there would be signs preceding the destruction of Jerusalem. Warning signs for which they would look for in order to know to leave. It won't be that with the second coming of Christ. It will be unexpected then by men. Look at verses 42-44. through 44. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming, but know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Someone asked me just the other day, I think it was about a week ago, and asked, well, with all the things going on in the world, it looks like His coming is soon. And I believe they were premillennial in disposition. But He was looking at signs. That's exactly what the Bible says you cannot do. Someone going to outsmart God? It will be unexpected as a thief in the night. It will be sudden. And I think that 
is kind of like unexpected, but a little bit even more stronger, sudden. I mean, things can be unexpected, but when they happen suddenly, <laughs> they happen quickly. You know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 3, for when they say peace and safety, then sudden, sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. The New Testament tells us then about the time of His coming, and that is we don't know, but it will be unexpected and sudden and without visible signs of warning. The New Testament tells us something about His manner of coming too. His manner will be a personal coming. It will not be representatively. So we read in the Bible about the coming of the Lord in judgment. Did God descend from heaven and come literally? Did Jesus descend literally? This is going to be a literal descension of Jesus from heaven. Personally, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 16 and 17, the Bible says, For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first, and then those who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with the Lord. His coming, His second coming, will be personal. He will come Himself. Secondly, it will be visible. We just read that here. It will be a visible coming. It will not be secret. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 7, in Revelation 1 and 7, the Bible said, Behold, He is coming with clouds, and every eye will see Him, and they also who pierced Him, and all the tribes of the earth will mourn because of Him. Even so, Amen. There will not be people saying, I wonder if the Lord came the second time. You will know. He will come very visibly. His coming is described as a revelation. We saw that in 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 7. That is a manifestation or an appearing. He will appear. And His coming will be in a glorious fashion. And when we think of things that are glorious, in our terms, maybe we think of something fancy and all those kinds of things. And it's hard to imagine exactly what involved, what is involved in this glorious coming. But it will be a glorious coming, I know. Matthew chapter 16 and verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of His Father with His angels. Just for His angels to come would be a glorious thing. Would it not be a glorious thing to see the Lord Jesus finally? And then He will reward each according to His works. In chapter 25 and verse 31, when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. 2 Timothy chapter 4, 2 Timothy 4 and verse 1, the Bible says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at His appearing and His kingdom. It will be a appearing and it will be a glorious appearing. Titus chapter 2 and verse 13. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ. 
Okay. So there will be a second coming of the Lord Jesus. What all is tied to His second coming? What events are tied to His second coming? First of all, the resurrection of the dead. That is, both the just and the unjust are inseparably tied to His coming. In John chapter 5 and verses 28 and 29, the Bible says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear His voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. Paul said in Acts chapter 24 and verse 15 that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. There will be a resurrection. All will hear His voice and come forth. It will occur on the last day. Remember we read in John chapter 6 and verse 39. Jesus said, I should raise it up at the last day. It will be at the last trumpet. The last trumpet. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall all be changed. The resurrection of the dead will happen at the last day. And those who are alive or those who are raised will be given a spiritual body. 1 Corinthians chapter 40, uh, 15 and verses 42 to 44. It, that is the body, is sown in dishonor, it is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness, it is raised in, in power. It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body, and that's what we're in now, and there's a spiritual body. What about those who are alive when Jesus returns? Well, back there in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse about verse 50 through 53, we find out that those who are alive will be changed. Their body will be changed. Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. For this, in, for this corruptible must put on incorruption and this mortal must put on immortality. There will be a change for those then who are alive at the second coming. The dead in Christ will rise and those alive in Christ will be caught up to meet them together in the air with the Lord Jesus. We read about that in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verses 15 through 17. Where Paul said, We who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by no means precede those who are asleep. Because He will descend from heaven with a shout and all of that. He said, And the dead will rise first then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. If it happens while you and I are still on this earth living, then that's the way it will be for us. Those who are faithful in Christ Jesus. But not only is the resurrection of the dead, both the evil 
and the good, both the just and the unjust, associated with Christ's second coming, but the judgment of the just and the unjust. Back in Matthew chapter 25, and beginning in verse 31, the Bible says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him and He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. All the nations gathered to Him. And this will be when He comes. And they'll be separated. It'll be a separation into heaven or hell. There in chapter 25 and verse 30, uh, verse 34, the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. In verse 41, to those on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed, into the everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. Verse 46, And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There will be a judgment when he comes and a separation. There will also be the destruction of the heavens and the earth. Jesus had said in Matthew 24 and 35 that my words will not pass away, but heaven and earth will. Peter tells us something about that in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 7 through 13, where he writes, But the heavens and the earth, which now exist, are kept in store by the same word, reserved for fire until the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But beloved, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning His promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of the, which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. These things will happen at the coming of the Lord, associated with the coming of the Lord. There's another thing that's going to happen, and that is the kingdom, that is the church, will be presented by Jesus to His Father. In 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and verse 24, then comes the end, when He delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when He puts an end to all rule and all authority and power, for He must reign till He's put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. This is at the end. This is at the last day. I'll not go through the detail of this, but think of it uh, if you look at your outline in point 6E. Uh, the association of all of these events. 
The second coming, according to Hebrews 9, 27-28, is clearly associated with the judgment and with eternal salvation. That, of course, for those who are in Christ Jesus, the faithful in Christ. So the second coming is associated in those verses with the judgment and eternal salvation. In John chapter 5 and verses 28 and 29, the judgment is associated with the resurrection. And Jesus says they'll be raised and then judged, both the just and the unjust. In 2 Peter that we just read, the destruction of the heavens and the earth are associated with what? The judgment. And in 1 Corinthians 15, the resurrection is associated with what? The end. The end. When Christ delivers a kingdom and destroys death. These are not events separated by years or thousands of years. This is the last day. This is the second coming of Christ. Well, so what? Well, number one, we know and we believe these things about the second coming by faith. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17. You and I would know nothing concerning the things that we've spoken of this morning except it be revealed. And we don't know much more. We don't know anything more than what is revealed. It leaves us with uh, inquisitive minds, probably some questions, wondering what kind of adventure this must be, not to mention death itself. But what we know, what we can read here, what's revealed, we can know by faith. We can walk by faith on that. Secondly, this means that today, today is, this, is the day of salvation. This is the day of salvation for when Jesus comes a second time, it is described in the parable of the virgins, the ten virgins, as the door being shut. The door will be shut. I can't help but remind you of what happened with Noah. The, Lord, the Bible says the Lord shut him in. They went into the ark and the Lord shut him in. The door will be shut. There'll be no more opportunity. This is the day of salvation. It's the time to prepare. Jesus said in giving the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 20, when He said, Go into all the world, or He said, All authority has been given to Me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even till when? Even to the end of the age. That'll be the end of the age. Until the end of the age, belief and baptism, and the things that Jesus taught, are in effect. But at the end of the age, there is no more opportunity. 
sec, uh, number three. Since there will be a second coming, and we are assured of it, men, whether lost or whether Christians who have fallen away and not living right, need to recognize that His not coming needs to be counted from our point of view as the long-suffering of God. That's what Peter said in 2 Peter chapter 3. It's the long-suffering of God for what? Man's repentance. That man might repent. He gives opportunity then for repentance. Number four. When men predict His second coming based on signs or the state of affairs on this earth, they err. They attempt to do what Jesus said was not possible. And someone says, well, how harmless. Not really. They distract and they divert attention away from the faith and from what is revealed and from the truth of the matter. And finally, so what about His second coming then? Christians ought to live this way then. Hastening the day. Our kids hasten their birthdays. They hasten certain events. We do too. We hasten. We look forward to certain events. We sing the song sometimes. Alleluia, alleluia. Uh, Lord, come quickly. We sing in there. Is that good to sing? Is that right to sing? According to Peter, it is. According to the Holy Spirit here. For in 2 Peter chapter 3, we're told to look for and hasten the coming of the day of the Lord. Do you hasten it? Do you look forward to it? Hebrews 9.28 says we eagerly wait. We eagerly wait for that. There's some things I look forward to. But the thing I should look forward to the most and eagerly wait the most is the second coming of the Lord Jesus. Paul, nearing death, in 2 Timothy chapter 4, and verse 8, he said, Finally, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. And not to me only, but to all who have loved His appearing. To all who have loved His appearing. And I believe that involves looking forward then to His appearing. Because we have a living hope. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3. <clears throat> so we ought to live hastening and eagerly awaiting that day. Do you? Do you eagerly look forward to that day? Or is it a day of fear? It shouldn't be. We should live this way in holy conduct and godliness then. We read in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter 3. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? In verse 14. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by Him in peace, without spot, and blameless. 
in peace, without spot, and blameless. Thus, the idea of being ready. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and verses 1 through 11, this is how we ought to live, recognizing the second coming of the Lord that Paul had just spoken about in chapter 4. He says, But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you, for you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. For those who sleep, sleep at night, and those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with Him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. With the second coming in mind, eagerly awaiting it, we need to encourage and build up one another in that truth and in the faith that we will be ready. We need to be busy then in the Lord's work. Jesus talked about how the night was coming when He could work no more. John chapter 9 and verse 4, and such is the same for us. There's a time coming when there will be no more work and no more opportunity. And so let us live in hope, in expectation, hastening and eagerly awaiting the second coming of the Lord. These are the events that will occur. And we do not have any experience in them. We know them by faith. We can believe it. If you're here this morning and not a child of God, won't you get ready? So when the Lord does return or death takes you before His return, you are ready. You need to believe the Gospel of Jesus Christ. He died for your sins. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God in need of His grace and mercy. Will you repent of your sins? That means change your mind that I'm going to stop doing what I want to do, I'm going to stop my sin and I want to follow God. Whatever He has for me, I will do that. Change your mind concerning sin and God. Confess Jesus as Lord and Christ and be baptized for the remission of your sins. If you'll do that this morning, then you'll be saved and you can hasten and eagerly await the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ because He comes for your salvation eternally. If you're a Christian and you're not living right, won't you get right with the Lord? We'll stand and sing a song of encouragement. Come forward if you need.